we are going to pick up where Brother Bill left off. Um, he left off in Malachi, uh, verse 16, and we're going to pick up at verse 17 out of chapter 2 of Malachi, and then we're going to read through Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. The title, I mean, if you, I don't know if you got something to take notes on. Uh, uh, when he came in on the chair, there was a uh, place to take notes, and it's the title of this series is The Messenger, and today we're talking about Fear the King. So I'm going to give you a little background, catch you back up in case you are just now jumping into this series. It's been about 100 years, uh, um, sorry, about 100 years after the, uh, the Israelites. Where are we picking up? The Israelites have been exiled into Babylon, and then they came back. So it's been about 100 years since they've come back. And about 20 years into the return to their, after they came back from Babylon, they built a temple. And as I was telling Dell this morning, I learned something. I was going to say, you know, there was a lot of excitement that was going on when they built the temple. Actually, after I read and found out, they, were having, they had to be encouraged by the prophets to even build, rebuild the temple. And so that happened about 20 years after they got back. And so we, we, we jump in about, uh, about 70, uh, 80 years after the temple has been rebuilt. And that's where Malachi comes onto the scene. What, is, what had happened is, in, in this book of Malachi, there's... Um, statements that are made or claims that are made by God, and then there's a response by the people, usually in, in, a, in a form of a question, and then God responds back to their question. And we've already dealt with three of these questions in Malachi, and today we're going to be, deal with a fourth one. This is going to show us something that I think all of us as Christians deal with if we're not careful to keep it out of our lives. It's a word, indifference. And Webster defines indifference this way. Lack of interest, concern, or enthusiasm. No special liking or dislike of something. Being neither good nor bad, right nor wrong. Doesn't matter one way or the other. Of no important value, one way or the other. That was where uh, we, we find the children of Israel right now. And I think as we study this, I think we're going to actually have to be honest with ourselves um, that sometimes uh, we bring this indifference into our lives. What leads to indifference toward God? The title of the talk today is Fear the King. When we stop fearing God, and I don't mean running around scared that the lightning's going to strike and snuff us out type of fear. I'm talking about a respect and all, a thankfulness that he created us, a thankfulness that he's long-suffering in our sin. When we start not concentrating on that and, and having a daily appreciation for the fear of God, we start seeing things that go on around us that we start questioning. We start wondering, where could a God be when there's so much evil in this world? Where could a God be when something goes bad in my life? And we'll, it, that gets to the point where you go, well, if God doesn't care about good and evil, why should I? In fact, why, why should I really care about God one way or the other if he doesn't care? And you just get to that point where you live your life, yeah, there's a God, but I'm kind of indifferent toward him. And that's where the children of Israel were, and that's where we, as we study some of this stuff, let's, let's be honest with ourselves and let's examine ourselves in light of Scripture this morning and uh, see if any of this applies to us. Uh, Bill left off last week with the children of Israel bringing sick animals and lame animals to the to the altar. They really didn't care. The priest took them. The priest didn't care either. Everything was just an indifference. They're like, yeah, okay, we'll go through the rituals. God's not very impressed with our rituals. God's always, we'll see this today, God always looks at the heart. 
He sees us. Other people may look at us and think we're all good. God knows what's inside. So you might feel like your mom. They say you can fool a lot of the people some of the time or whatever that word is, but you never fool mom. Well, he can't fool God either. He sees right through you. He knows the heart. If you're asking for something, he knows the motives of the heart. If you're being helpful to somebody, he knows the motives of the heart. If you're being indifferent toward him, he also knows that as well. I've broken today's message into three parts. And kids at home, if you like to draw, there's three things you can draw pictures on. Certainly, it goes along, the first part goes along with what Chris talked about, the sin. So we're going to look at the mess, the mess of the children of Israel. We're going to look at a messenger, and when it comes before Christ. And then we're going to talk about the Messiah. And we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to pray. So I'm going to start with, I'm going to be reading out of, I know that we have a lot of NIVs. I happen to study this in the ESV, so to keep me from getting uh, messed up here, I'm going to read from what I studied from. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send, a, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver? And, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and he will refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppressed hire worker and his wages, who oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So let's pray. And dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for those of us that are joined together to worship you, and we thank you for those, home, for those at home who are who've taken the time uh, this Sunday morning to, to, to listen to what your word may have to say. Uh, we thank you for your patience with us. We ask for your continued patience with us, but we also ask as we study this passage that we understand that you are a righteous God, you're a holy God, and you don't like sin. And may, as we study this, may we draw closer to you so that we don't want that sin in our life either. In your name we pray, amen. All right, the first claim. I think, I think we've already kind of given a little bit of introduction, but we'll read this again. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good, excuse me, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights them, or by asking, where is the God of judgment? So that's a pretty strong statement, um, and... They're basically accusing God of, of saying evil is good. If you've never had a time in your life where something's happened in your life to make you question if God knows what he's doing, is God fair? God, do you even, do you even know that I'm here? If you've never had one of those times in your life, God bless you. Most of us have had those times. Some of us may be going through those times right now. Certainly... The world is in some pretty, pretty strong chaos right now. 
And those same questions, anytime the world goes through a period of chaos, that's the question. Where is God? How could a fair God let something like this happen? Uh, what people, and, and then what kind of happens after that is when we say something like that, when we say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, God, that's a bad idea, basically what we're telling God is, I have a plan that's a lot better than your plan, and I don't like your plan. And when we step into that line of thinking, and we don't quickly pull back from that line of thinking, then we start that road to indifference. Well, if you say good is evil, if you're going to reward the people who are doing bad things out there, God, then what do I care about doing anything that's good? or, 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 or what, what do I care if I do anything that's good? But there's a problem with that. You just give yourself a, a, a little bit of time to think about that. Basically, you're saying, I'm going to punish you, God, by being indifferent to you for not, for not giving me what I want. You're going to be indifferent. I see you as being indifferent or not fair to me, so I'm going to be indifferent to you. The problem with that is we're, we really like the fact that God is patient with us. So when we, when we sin, we are always saying, God, thank you for, for giving me. Please help me get over the sin. Be long-suffering with me. Be patient with me. But when we see evil goes on in the world or we see somebody does something mean to us, we go, God, you need to take care of that right now. So we want God to be patient with us as we struggle with sin. But a lot of times we don't really want, we don't think it's right for God to take his patience with other people. And as we're going to see, uh, when, we, when we start looking at the messenger who's come before Christ, we're going to see that long-suffering is a good thing. In verse uh, 4 and 5 where he talks about when Jesus is going to return, there's going to be a point where the long-suffering ends. Um, children of Israel, they had got to the point, they, I don't even know if the children of Israel ever really got to where they were worshiping God the right way as a nation. Uh, we, we know in the book of Malachi that there were some people that were righteous, and God recognizes those people that were righteous, and you'll see in the, the rest of the book, and I do encourage you to listen to it or read it, that, that he talks about these people, and he asks them to write some things down so they can remember what they were talking about. But by and large, the, the, the children of Israel at this point in time, I don't know that they ever really got to the point where they were, were worshiping God. They were doing things that were wrong. God let them go off into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, and then you know, Persia takes back over Nebuchadnezzar, and he, he lets the people come back home. They have to be t encouraged to build the temple, and they, they just don't seem to get out of the cycle of uh, God's just not that important. We really don't fear the king. He said he's going to come back someday. I don't, I don't know if he's going to come back or not. All these nations around us are flourishing in their evil, and I don't know if, they're, if God really cares if good or bad. So that's, the, that's what God said that he is tired of listening to. He said, you have wearied my ears. Uh, uh, this is what you keep saying over and over. And so this is going to be what I'm going to tell you. And so he's going to lead from the mess of the situation, and now he's going to start talking to him about the messenger. Let's see if there's anything else I wrote down. Oh, I did wrote down kind of how to break this. This is an important thing not to forget. <laughs> so if you find yourself in that situation, what do you do? If you find, your situation, find yourself in a situation where you're, you're thinking, you're seeing other people do evil things and you're not happy about it, or something... Pray for those people. Pray for your enemies. 
it's a difficult thing to stay mad at somebody or think something's unfair if you put that person on your prayer list and pray for that person. So um, that, is, that, that is one of the easiest ways to start stepping out of that indifference toward God or that belief that he doesn't care when bad things happen. Um, and we do have the promise. Um, and again, as Christians, and we, as we talk about the long-suffering of God, when we, when we deal with um, verse 4 and 5 about the second coming of Christ, and we all long for that. We all want to go see God. And we want him to come back. But there's also a part of that that actually should make us one, you know, not, not sad, but make us um, energetic toward telling other people about Christ because he came the first time, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but when he came the first time, it was as a, as a humble servant. The next time he comes is not going to be that way. Okay, let's talk about the messenger, section 2. Verses, verse 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to, come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Messengers come before kings. It was the way it was done in old times. You know, sometimes there was fanfare, there were trumpets. But even now today, we still do that kind of thing. I don't know if y'all been to uh, conferences or events, something like that, where somebody introduces the keynote speaker. And when that person introduces the keynote speaker, they talk about his credentials, talk about her accomplishments, talk about how great of a person that person is. You really need to listen to this person because the subject that we're having this conference about, this person knows all about it. And so there's an introduction, there's a, you know, clapping, and the person comes on and they give their speech. So this, the thing about messenger coming before the Messiah is something that we're all used to, and that's what John the Baptist did. All four Gospels recognize that this messenger talked about in Malachi, which is also talked about in Isaiah, was John the Baptist. Um, and his message was very, very simple. Um, you can look at any of the Gospels. It basically says, repent, the kingdom is, of heaven has come near. And so I was praying about what would our message need to be right now? We actually live in a pretty difficult time too. And we as ambassadors of Christ are given the um, responsibility, but also given the privilege to come alongside Christ in our life and proclaim Christ. Um, in Matthew five thirteen through 16, you're welcome to jump over there if you want to. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does any light, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but the lampstand, but on a lampstand, and it is given light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." Now, I learned something this week. I learned a lot of stuff every week, but I certainly learned something this week um, about salt. I knew it was something that uh, in olden times they used for trade and sometimes they would use for payments. But what I didn't understand was the word we get salary, like if we work at a job and we get paid a salary, that comes from Latin word salt. People actually used to be paid in salt. And so I don't know if you've heard that saying before. Um, if somebody is not a hard worker or somebody doesn't do a good day's work, they say he's not worth his salt. That actually comes from when people were used to get paid with salt. So salt's always been like a very important thing to society. And salt, 
Um, I mean, another thing that, that in nowadays, uh, the, the, the farm-to-table restaurants, maybe someday we'll get to go back to those restaurants. Um, but the farm-to-table restaurants, you know, they boast about fresh foods from the farm with little or no preservatives, come eat, you know, fresh. Before people really had a lot of salt, everything was farm-to-table because you had to eat it before it spoiled or before it rotten. Um, so salt has been a very important thing, and the people of, of Israel understood that. And, and when Jesus spoke that in Matthew, um, salt kind of works in with everything else to, 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 to slow down. It doesn't stop, but it slows down the rate of decay and, and rotting of food. And so when, when, when Christ says we are to be the salt to the earth, um, I'm going to read what John MacArthur said about this. It says, the world is decaying. The world is corrupt, the world is dark, and those who follow Christ are to be the salt that slows the decay and light that diminishes the darkness. Christ is coming again, and, and praise the Lord for that. And every day this world is grown, groans a little bit more and groans a little bit more, wants them to come back a little bit stronger every single day. Um, there may be a revival. The, the, the United States might return to a, a Christ um, another country may be the leader of Christianity. I don't know how long uh, the Lord will tarry before he comes back. But however long that is, we are simply supposed to help slow down this decay by being the salt to those who need Jesus. Um, and so we kind of just, in our life, you know, there, there's two things here he talks about in Matthew. It's, it's like the quiet life where you're just taking care of people. You're loving God. Your neighbor needs something. You help them. That's the salt. You just look for ways to help preserve the goodness of this earth, or the goodness of Christ in this earth. Then you got the light on the other side, which is totally different than the salt. The light, it, it, it goes forth. And so, yes, we spo we're supposed to have this quiet, but we all know that we don't... If, if you've read the story of John the Baptist, you know that he just didn't go around in the desert, in the wilderness, qu quietly... He did stay out of limelight. He didn't care about getting credit for anything. But he proclaimed a message out loud to people that would listen to him. Repent, Christ is coming. So in addition to the quiet life of helping preserve goodness and, and the things of God as being salt to this earth, we we're supposed to be light. We actually are supposed to talk. We we're actually supposed to tell people about Christ too. That is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be making way right now as ambassadors of Christ until his coming. So much in the same way John the Baptist proclaimed when Christ was here, we are supposed to be doing much the same thing. Um, and when we don't, it makes very clear in the scripture here is we're not, we're not really worth anything in terms of what we're supposed to be doing. Salt, when, it, when it's no good and it can't preserve anything, you just throw it out. In fact, it says it's trodden underfoot. And so if we're not helping, if we're not doing what we're supposed to, actually things even become worse for us as the salt of the earth. Now, the one that he prepared us for. Uh, let's read. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Verses 2 through 5 of chapter 3. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of the Levi, refine them like gold and silver. They will bring their offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. 
I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the worker, uh, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who, against those who are, basically who lie, those who are, are, are opposed, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble reading this last part, against those who oppress hired worker and his wage, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who thrust the sojourner aside, and those that do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So I listened to one uh, preacher, and, and I really liked the way he described this uh, prophecy by Malachi. Um, if you have ever had the privilege of going to, like, um, the, 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 the Rocky Mountains, um, have you ever driven in across the, the flattest state in the country, Kansas, where you, get, where you struggle really hard to stay awake? And as you come into Denver, um, you can just see the Rocky Mountains. And from a distance, they all kind of look like one. But as you get closer, you can tell that there's much difference and there's, there's many different mountains. So Malachi is kind of giving the prophecy, Christ is coming, and he sees it as one thing, or he, he presents it as almost one thing. But in actuality, he's presenting two different prophecies here. He's, reading, he's presenting the first prophecy. Um, and that was in verse 1. Let me go back here and, and give you the tail end of that one. Where it says, And the Lord who you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So Christ did come to his temple the first time. He came as a baby. He was actually recognized. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the old, old couple that were waiting their whole life to, 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 to bless Christ as he was a baby. So he, was, he came to the temple as a baby. He came to the temple as a young man teaching the old people as to what really scriptures really were trying to say in the Old Testament. And then he came as an adult and got rid of the money changers out of the temple. And so he did come to his temple and he fulfilled that covenant that they had with Israel. There's a new covenant now and that's with, that's with Gentiles and everybody. And that covenant will be fulfilled again at a later time. We've not had that happen yet. So um, there's two things going on here. Um, Malachi kind of presents it as one, but it's actually two events that he's, that he's foretelling. Um, so Christ did come the first time um, into his temple. And, and the way he came, as we talked about before, was not the way that a lot of the Israelites that were, that were there um, and the Jews in the time of Christ thought that he would come. They thought he was going to come and set up his kingdom, and, and, and they were just going to be in charge. Jerusalem, the Israelites, all these people that have been taking us over and all this that we've been suffering is going to end because the Messiah is going to come back and he's going to be the king. That's what they were looking for. What they didn't understand is there needed to be a humble servant come first so that they and us could even be next to God. Um, so that's the way Christ came the first time. Uh, he came as a servant. He came, um, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, so that we can have righteousness imputed or basically be presented to God as holy because of what Christ did the first time that he came. That's the one that we like. The next second coming may not be as good for some people, including maybe some Christians, because in this verse, Malachi talks about two types of um, judgments, if you will. He's kind of speaking first with the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap, He's talking, we as Christians, we are also going to be judged. Now, if we have been to, if we have been to need of Christ 
and we, and we claim him as our Lord and that's what our life is about, we're going to spend eternity with him. But the works that we do here on this earth will be judged. The motives that we did this work. And here he's talking about a refiner's fire, basically melting down silver, melting down gold, getting all the impurities out. He's talking about a fuller, which is basically a dry cleaner, if you will, except for the soaps that they use will probably be illegal and they would have to have like, you know, like don't touch this kind of stuff. We don't really have those type of fullers anymore. Um, but basically he's going to cleanse out all the unrighteousness and, we'll, and he'll see what's left. And that is what the rewards are going to be. Um, if you want, uh, when, when Bill was talking about last week, I wrote this n little note down. If you want rewards on this earth, then that's where your rewards are going to be. If you are working toward rewards in heaven, that's where your rewards will be. So as Christians, we should always ask God, God, search me out. Are my motives for this good stuff that I'm doing honoring you or just really honoring myself? So he's going to come back and he's, he's, he's going to come back as such a holy God, no evil will be able to stand against it, including motives that were not pure. So he's only, that's, that's hopefully those in here who are Christians, that's us. Everything we do here, he's going to say, hmm, let's look at that one. Let's run that through the litmus test of fire and about and a fuller soap and we'll see what comes out. Your foundation on me is never going to go anywhere. We, but we as Christians build different things on the foundation of Christ. And we're going to see if those stand against Christ when he comes back. That's the one, that's one thing. But then there's also uh, where he says in verse 5, he will draw near for judgment. And there he's talking about, uh, some people refer to that in Revelation as the great white throne. Christians don't stand before God at the great white throne judgment. That is a, where a sinner who never believed in Christ, who, who chose to do his own thing and not follow Christ, that's where they stand. And again, the question basically that God is, is posing against Israel, who can stand that? And so... I would encourage you, if you're struggling with good and evil and, and things that are going on, take a, minute to do, take a minute to maybe go to Job. Look at the questions Job asked God and the answers that God gave back to Job, and you'll start seeing some similarities through the Old Testament. Whenever those questions are asked, it's like, who are you to ask these questions? Um, so those are the questions, and uh, let's see. Back to the uh, question at hand on evil. When we see evil, we do have the hope that evil will someday be punished. It is bad stuff that happens out there. There are bad things that happen to us. And, and, and you may live the rest of your life and never understand why that may have happened. But as Christians, we can rest assured this life is very, very short. It's just like a little bit in the whole realm of eternity. Evil will get its due reward when Christ comes back. Um, but again, I really, I really don't want to emphasize too much about what, that Christ coming back and, 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 and evil finally being punished. I want to get back to basically the claim that uh, Christ said, I'm tired of listening to you because of your indifference. And they're like, well, you, 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 you say evil is good and good and evil. I want to get back to what we said in the beginning um, look at ourselves when, when, and look at the struggles that you personally had with sin 
And how many times have you asked God to forgive you for maybe some doing the same thing over and over? And how thankful are we that God is patient with us? And if we really dwell on how patient God is with us, and we see others flourishing, what appears to be flourishing, we should pray that God continues to be patient with them. That's a hard thing to do, but that's the heart of a Christian who has no indifference to a God, who fears the king, who loves him. God, thank you for being patient with me. That person who may have done something really wrong against me or, or doing wrong against other people, thank you for being patient with that person too. I'm going to pray for that person that he comes to know you as well because we know we don't have much time on this earth. Um, so let's do that. Um, let's do that and let's lift each other up and let's, let's just continue to praise God that he is very, very long-suffering with us and long-suffering to others. So let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We don't understand your, your ways. Uh, we just know that your ways are best. And when those doubts keep, uh, creep into our mind, we ask you that you remind us of how long-suffering you've been with us. Thank you for what your son did on the cross. Thank you for the promise and the hope of eternal life with you. And may we live each day as an ambassador for you and everything that we do. Amen.